Right, so this is episode 82, and uh, we are back with uh, quite an ill-looking Pete Fletcher. How are you doing, Pete? How's it going? Good, man. I don't know what I got, but it's uh, a little bit of a cough, a little bit of, yeah, I'm sounding like Barry White right now, and uh, yeah. <laughs> you wish. <laughs> so what have, you been, what have you been up to, brother? We haven't spoke, we haven't spoke for a while. You've been uh, racing around looking at properties and stuff like that, haven't you, you high-flying motherfucker? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you make everything sound so glamorous. No, yeah. Yeah, we're looking at a, a dump of a place that uh, needs a little fixing up, and my wife are looking at a reno project. So, yeah, I've been busy uh, house hunting in uh, in North Carolina. But, uh, yeah, man, miss you, you. How you been? I've been good, mate. Yeah, so are you going to get your hands dirty getting involved in the reno and all that stuff? Yeah, I do all the demo stuff, and then I let the smart people come in and do the, the, the fixing stuff. As if you do. Do you really get in there and swing a sledgehammer? <laughs> yeah, probably not. I mean, <laughs> I'm like the guy that goes do the dump runs, you know, like I'll take stuff to the dumps. But uh. <laughs> we're told that we, we did the story about you and uh, getting the help moving your massive fridge and all that, oh, didn't we? <laughs> don't even remind me. <laughs> oh, this is going to be any moments like that for you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. For anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, I don't remember what episode it was, but yeah, there was definitely a little bit of a rant. I don't even know if we went into full depth of that horrible experience on the podcast but yeah i've had my share of experiences with contractors let's just say that oh yeah oh yeah that other one as well about that thing you found in the oh, toilet that oh, wasn't oh. fixed <laughs> God, i'm sure anyone can use their imagination and work out what that could have been but oh. the less said about that the better but the best part about that story was you just describing your wife's face when you both walked in <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> such a glamorous yeah. life, I tell you. <laughs> but yeah, it's good to be chatting with you again, brother. Um, yeah, I've been, I've been here. I've been, to be honest, I've, I've been. I mean, you know, I'm quite upfront about this sort of stuff. I've been a bit up and down, really. It's been, um, been a little bit of a tough time for me in lots of ways. Uh, I actually split up with my long-term partner, um, and as a result, have moved out into into a flat so that's been um that's that's had its difficulties shall we say i mean the, the great thing is is that we are still uh we're, we're very good friends now um which does make everything easy but i don't you know as i'm sure you can understand anything like that is always like massive emotional upheaval and kind oh, of yeah. that's been that's all been happening at the same time as trying to bring all the elements of the album release together do you know what i mean um so it's kind of like i've had to split my brain into 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 different parts and let one bit take the lead and yeah as a result um i mean you have been busy as well but as a result we haven't done as many podcasts as i would have liked but i don't i don't I, you know i don't really like thinking about podcasting when i'm not in the right frame of mind do you know yeah. what i mean i mean ultimately it's you know it's it's real and it's it might be things that people relate to and or are interested in hearing about but i can you know like the bipolar helter skelter can be a quite rapid descent isn't as anyone who has or knows anyone with those sorts of conditions it can be a very rapid change in mood and things like that um so the, there has been a lot of emotional upheaval um in my life but things like i say things are starting to stabilize now and the great thing is is that me um and alison um my 
ex-partner are still very good friends and I'm helping her sort the house out and stuff because I mean that place is a is a bit of a wreck um I don't know like we were just never people that worked well in terms of well I don't know keeping a house nice do you know what yeah. I mean it, it's it's just never been how my brain works um so there's been a lot to sort out, a lot of skips, a lot of backbreaking, moving stuff, and a lot of, okay, well, where the hell am I going to put all this stuff? You know, coming out of a house that size into a, a much smaller flat, it presents uh, a lot of logistical issues, but... Is this like Hoarder's Kipax edition, or...? Well, you're probably not far wrong, really. I mean, I don't know, because I think Hoarder, I think, gives the impression that it's like, no, no, I can't let go of that, whereas it's not like that. It's more just like, can't be asked. I think the problem with that, I think the problem with uh, living there was her house is quite big and there's plenty of rooms to just go, oh, sorry, I'll throw it in there and shut the door. Do <laughs> 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 you know what I mean? Out of sight, out of mind. You know how, that's so true because I remember when you and I first started doing the podcast, we were chatting and you were like, well, there is this room in the house and uh, maybe, yeah, maybe I'll turn that into my studio. And then you like, you went and like, there was a room that you hadn't been using that you eventually became your studio. I'm like, yeah. it'd be nice just to have like extra rooms laying around that you can transform <laughs> well i mean that was then it's not the case now having to be quite creative about um where stuff goes i mean my studio now i'm currently sat in the bedroom at the foot of the bed um with like a desk that i've got set up there but it's cool man do you know what i mean all, look all i need is electricity and a few components do you know what i mean and my brain that's all i need to be able to do this stuff you know there's a there's a big bit of me that's like oh man where am i going to be at like write and record because it's it's in a flat with other flats you know attached to it so to yeah. speak so it's not something that i've really been used to but it's it's going really well and a lot of the reason for that is because um everything's amicable and as i say we're, we're still friends and that so that makes things a lot easier but yeah I mean, long and short of it is I've had quite a lot of um, upheaval. Uh, and as a result, as I say, there's it's getting to the point now where the, the album release is close and there's all these sorts of things to pull together in terms of um, making sure everything gets manufactured in time and meeting the release date and all those things, which have been a bit of a challenge, at, like I say, at the same time. as Because it's difficult, man. Like I need to be able to focus on one thing really I, i'm not probably not good at um i don't even know if you call it multitasking really but certainly like um a headline bullet point that you're working towards i do best when i've only got one or maybe two but when there's all these different things you've got to think about it it you know it takes a lot of mental computing power so to speak and can be quite stressful and yeah i mean it's the same with the gig as well i mean don't get me wrong I'm mad excited about the gig now and there has been a few changes in things but prior i have been sort of sat there really fretting about this gig i mean only in the same way that i've fretted about temple news i suppose and I, don't, I think i said it on the last episode anyway it's it's mainly down to the i want things to be right yeah do you know what i mean sort of worrying about that really but yeah i have got my head into it a lot more and i've been practicing the set playing through the songs and you know it's silly stuff like 
oh bloody hell i wrote this entire album sort of sat down hunched over my guitar in like a sort of fetal position and you know like you stand up and you try and play and you're like bloody hell why are my hands so far away from my face Uh, (laughs) (laughs) as a result your coordination goes and everything feels different and songs that you're like oh yeah you know these play themselves all of a sudden you're like oh bloody hell i'm hitting wrong notes left right and bloody center and it is only i mean it is only one gig at the moment i've said it quite a few times I'd, I'd love to do more but even focusing on that one gig it's like it's not like i've got a few dry runs to to you know to build up muscle memory and stuff because again like i said on the previous one i think like the, the songs on this record i kind of wrote in a very short space of time and then they were done so some of them i couldn't even remember how to play them <laughs> sure. Do you know sure. what I mean? So a lot of the worrying about the gig has been sat there thinking, can I remember how to play that? And that's my effing problem, really. Like, instead, of, I'll sit there and go, can I remember how to play that? Oh, I don't know. I won't go pick up a bloody guitar and try, though. Do you know what I mean? I'll just sit there and torture myself with yeah. whether, you know, it's. I suppose it's almost like an extension of how the music used to do things, which was just like, are we prepared? No. <laughs> Is it going to go well? probably maybe yeah (laughs) hopefully um so yeah i've i've really started turning my attention i mean it's getting really exciting now um i have had some sneak peek looks at the vinyl pressing because the vinyl pressing actually took place uh through the night uh, a few nights ago um which really started to fill me with excitement do you know what i mean because i suppose making making this record it it, it started off as a massive chunk of excitement, which lasted for a long time. And then other things happened in my life, even prior to, to the breakup, as I say. But you kind of, you could, you, there comes a point where it's easy to lose sight of things like that. Um, yeah. And I, I, I especially, I mean, everything's about state of mind and perspective. And if you find yourself in the wrong state of mind and looking at things from the wrong perspective, everything can be really, really daunting. Um, and, you know, I've been fretting about the technology and getting that right. But as we discussed, I went to Rick's and sorted that out. And then that machine has been doing funny things, honestly. So I've had I've had a little bit of an issue with that. And when, when, you, when you're listening to that and you're like, why is the left side of everything cutting out? Oh, boy. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, Christ. Do you know what I mean? Like, is this faulty? Am I going to have to take this back? And then they're going to be like, well, what's wrong with it? I'm like, well, I don't fucking know. I'm a tech. You tell me. All I'm telling you, don't fucking work. And I want another one. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but we haven't, we, haven't, we haven't got to that stage. Um, I've been running tests with it, and it all seems fine. But like, I was talking to Rick about it, and James Chapman, actually, maps. And just like, look, this is... Because what I actually did is I recorded what that thing was outputting directly into Pro Tools. I recorded straight out of it and it was cutting out all over the place and doing mm. weird stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, something's wrong here. Getting in touch with Rick going, are, are those WAV files? Like, do they look all right from your end? Is the left-hand side cutting out and that? And he's like, no. Yeah. I'm like, oh, it's what the hell's going on here? So I went through bloody panic mode and everything thinking I'm going to have to get it replaced. And then I thought, well, let's just try the process again. So I repeated the process, recording what it was outputting. And it was absolutely fine. Absolutely. And it's so I'm like, oh, Christ. So I've, tr- I've recorded like another 10 times, just literally recording what it's outputting, trying to recreate the problem. Nothing. Absolutely perfect. <laughs> but that don't, that, don't, that don't do anything for you. Do you know what I mean? Because you're like, 
well, it broke. It, I know it's not worked once, and once is enough for me to be like, oh, God, what's going to happen when I'm on stage? But anyway, I think that that's sorted. And down to things like what guitar I'm going to play and stuff like that, do you know what I mean? I mean, I've been I've been practicing on the Strat and thinking, yeah, I'm going to do it with the Strat. And I did this with Temple Newsom, didn't I? I was like, yeah, oh, I'm yeah. going to do it all gig with this strat and that presented a few issues and it's like mm, how am i going to solve this problem oh i know i use my les paul <laughs> so that's 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 what i've been doing and that's one of the final things that have um made it click really was picking the les paul back up and playing the game and playing the, playing it standing up as well so as i say i've been practicing sitting down just to try and remember all the parts. And, you know, I've been talking to Jack at Hyde Park Book Club going, uh, do you think it's going to be all right if I play this gig sitting down? Yeah, He's like, uh, yeah, yeah, I guess so. But I mean, I, just I imagined that you'd be in like a stool, you know, like sitting well, there. Yeah, that was kind of what I thought. I thought if I can get like a tall stool, it might, do you know what I mean? But no, I think I'm going to stand up, man. And the more I'm practicing it, um, the better it's feeling, uh, the better it's sounding and stuff. And, it's just that guitar, man. Do you know what I mean? It's it. I mean, I wrote, I, I wrote and recorded everything on that Les Paul, and um, so yeah, the second I've sort of got myself in the right mindset, got that guitar going, and really played through things, it's it started to come together. Really started to come together. So I'm I'm really excited about the gig now. I don't really have the same sort of fears that I did. Um, yeah. I've got some awesome sounds going on for it. I mean, if you and played yeah. if you played Temple Newsom sitting down, that would be weird. You know, like strength in numbers with you sitting on a bench or on a booth <laughs> a stool. That would be that'd be weird, right? But because it's got like that energy. But this yeah. album is so chill that like I feel like it's yeah. almost, it almost makes more sense for you to actually be like just relaxed going through the whole album sitting on a stool like i, I feel like that's more of the vibe I, but what do i know no i mean that, that i agree to be honest but i don't know there's something it's not a particularly tall stage so you're into problems then as if you sat down like people behind the first row of people won't be able to see you do you know what i mean so it's those things that i started to think about um but no it's gonna be fine it's gonna be fine it's gonna be real i'm really excited about it now and the more confident i get at playing the songs you know i'm sometimes going through the set twice a day now just to get muscle memory going um because muscle memory gets you out of so much shit oh yeah honestly honestly you know they might even at temple Newsom, you stood there thinking shit what's next what happens next what happens next? And you're like, so just relax. Your fingers will do it. They'll remember. You're like, well, I hope they bloody do. And lo and behold, you go to it and you're like, well, I didn't even have to think my fingers did it. But yeah, I mean, it just made me, it made me start thinking about uh, all sorts, to be honest, that Les Paul sort of when I bought it. Cause I, I realized that's not something that everyone will have heard about. I think I did like a brief thing on it on YouTube when I first started doing the YouTube videos, but this this whole sort of scenario has got like um, an element of symmetry about it for me. I, I put a tweet out today with the Les Paul, you know, saying it's fifty one years old. I bought it when I were eighteen when when we made our first EP as the music, um, which obviously brought back tons of memory and uh, memories. And I think that's something that we haven't really we haven't really touched on too much. And especially like that guitar, it's like certainly from my part it's like the heart of that band do you know what i mean it's the heart of the yeah. music sound and it wouldn't you know if it, it wouldn't look or sound right sort of played on any other guitar wouldn't those songs 
yeah, for me, that's like the Eddie Van Halen, you know, the red and white stripe guitar. Like that's just, you know, that's what Eddie Van Halen plays, you know? And mm. for the music, it's definitely this Les Paul, that gold, just big, nasty looking, awesome. Well, know, exactly, like, man. Yeah. Hunk, hunk of wood. That's what it's about. It, and it is a right hunk of wood. Honestly, you should stand on stage with that for an hour and a half. It bloody saws you in half. You wouldn't think it would. But yeah, I mean, I remember when I bought that thing, and like I've said in, I think I said it in a YouTube video anyway, but we'll go on about it now anyway. I bought that at probably the most exciting time in my life. Do you know what I mean? I think certainly, you know, we'd, we'd just been signed properly to a proper record label. And, you know, I think I've told the story. Well, that's in the history videos as well, really. The, the story of developing over the two years after Tim discovered us, you know, before we got a record deal because you know i think in tim's mind and the other managers we we could have got a record deal and hit the scene in inverted commas uh, a lot sooner than we did um but we we took that time to develop i mean because we were 16 yeah no we were 16 when we did bright young things and and tim came to see us and got mad excited about what we were doing and yeah and we had those two years of development of writing these songs of developing as a band and when it got to the point where we were actually going to record something properly for the first time i mean that was because we've been in soundwork studios in leeds and that was exciting enough and like I said back then, everything kind of happened in stages and steps and sort of gradually got more exciting in an incremental way. Do you know what I mean? So going from, well, going from our very first studio experience at like a little studio in Horbury, um, when we were just literally doing demos um, of stuff that I don't think there'd be anything on there that people will have heard. Like the, when we were incense, do you know what I mean? Then going like into Will Jackson's Soundworks and how amazing that was. And then into what Will, I'm sure, would describe as a much more corporate place. Yeah. Um, you know, when we were rec when we were looking to record the You Might As Well Try and Fuck Me EP in Townhouse Studios in Shepherd's Bush. And, I mean, just to hear about the fact we were going to be doing that was ridiculously exciting. I mean, all, all the way down... Because that would that will have been certainly mine, and I think probably for everyone else that that was like our first time even in London. I mean, I think I went to Natural History Museum when I was a kid, um, but apart from that, um, that you know the first real time in London, and you know getting on the the splitter bus and driving down there and all that excitement. Um, but I mean, you know, at the same time that was tinged with a lot of anxiety anticipation and pressure really which i think was something that tim and the other managers were constantly working to guard as it to to guard against but you know what i mean it's, it, it got really real then the second you sign a proper record deal and there's um high-flying blocks and lots of people in a company expecting things from you yeah things really sort of change I don't know. I guess this conversation's kind of got two elements to it, really, because I'm trying to trace and hark back to the history of that guitar, yet at the same time talking about the experience that was going down to London to to record our first EP. Because, I mean, one thing that has to be sort of bared in mind, really, is we didn't even know what we were going to record. 
Oh, that when was we going to be my question. So I, I was yeah. like, did you come down there with the song or did you, I mean, I, clearly you had bits of it. Well, well, we had bits of lots of things, but in terms of what was going to be the main track on that EP, I mean, actually it was going to be disco. Mm. We went down there in Townhouse, like I said, this proper massive studio. And I mean, that was, that was, ex that was so, ex going in there. And the thing I have to keep sort of reiterating is just how much like we were kids. You know, we were 18 effing years old going into these massive studios where Elton John had been in the room next door, pretty, you know, not long ago. And I can't even remember who else was there. But I mean, the people who have recorded there, some massive records have been made there. So that, that was a brilliant experience in itself. And as usual, we got told off for... Um, smoking weed in places but i mean back then not many it, people didn't care as much but anyway i mean we literally went in there as giddy children and especially me do you know what i mean sort of undiagnosed adhd and having the sort of the, the manic spirals that i have based around any sort of stimulation and excitement it was just amazing being in that building standing in front of a massive ssl desk in front of you know in with a huge live room and all this equipment you're looking at and it was less, like being a kid in a sweet shop in a lot of ways and oh, yeah. that, that they were the moments where i started absorbing all this stuff as i probably said before whenever we've made records or done anything i've always been probably bordering on an on an irritant to the people <laughs> who were you know what i mean to like producers and engineers oh, what are you doing what's that do why are you doing that where's that go <laughs> Yeah, but that that's kind of got me all the the knowledge and experience that I I, I use to this day in um, in making my own music, some uh, my own music and my own demos, my own tracks and stuff like that. But we were just properly kids then, and yeah, we can get. I'll go back to talking about the music side of it. But so one of the things that came as part of the record deal was we got. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure we got a. Uh, Ten thousand pound equipment budget, and can you imagine giving ten grand to four eighteen-year-old stoners? <laughs> <laughs> it really sound like a good idea. That's a different kind of gear. Yeah, well, <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, so you know, and I don't know if I've said this before either, but I used to like when I started playing guitar and loving playing guitar and my parents bought me an epiphone black beauty which was like a three pickup black and gold les paul which i absolutely loved but i mean probably like anyone that's ever owned an epiphone especially when you're that young like i used to dream about owning a proper gibson les paul do you know what i mean and so much so that i still vividly remember now and i don't know if i told you this or said it on a podcast but i remember a dream i had at late 16 early 17 maybe where i was in a shop buying like a les paul a proper gibson les paul and as i'm sat there in this shop i literally stopped and just went bollocks yeah. this is a fucking dream in it this is a bloody dream you cruel bastard do you know what i mean when you when you actually realize in a dream that you're dreaming where it turns into sort of like a lucid dream <laughs> honestly I, I can remember i can remember everything about the the shop that I was not that it was a real shop. It was a dream shop, but I can remember how it looked and everything about it. And I'd never forget that sudden realization that I were dreaming. Bollocks. So obviously, <laughs> so obviously when we found out we had this like 10 grand equipment budget, it were like, right. So I get to legitimately, 
I don't have to force anyone to give me any money here or force anyone to agree that it might be a good idea for me to buy this guitar. It was just a case of, yeah, all right, well, you're in London, you've got this budget, so why don't you um, go to, you know, somewhere where they've got some decent guitars and have a look around and see what there is? I'm like, it's a bad idea telling me that, you know? And it was me and Stu, actually. I can't remember why Phil and Rob didn't come, um, but me and Stu got a taxi and went somewhere called Rick's Vintage Guitar Emporium, I believe. He's not on Denmark Street. Now, Denmark Street is a famous street in London where the majority of the really cool vintage guitar shops are. This was kind of off the beaten track, although I'm sure someone's since told me that there is a Rick's Vintage Guitar Emporium there. But this wasn't that one. And I might have got the name wrong, but it doesn't really matter. But yeah, man, and I still vividly remember walking in that shop and being like, right, so calm down, calm down. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Just just take your time looking at these guitars. I tell you what, as soon as I walked in, I saw that. But obviously, it had like a proper gold top finish on it, which yeah. nowadays it, it very much doesn't. <laughs> After it's had God knows how many hundreds of gigs all over the world and like my literally blood, sweat and tears soaked into it every night and then all the damage you pick up from just touring and stuff well i say damage i mean it's it's patina really but and i remember watching us on top of the pops semi recently actually not not that long ago and being like see i because th there came a point where i was like did did this ever have like a proper solid gold top finish yeah. or has it always looked like that i can't even remember but yeah to see it actually on the film like right well that confirms it but i remember walking in and seeing that guitar anyway and because that was i think from memory, I think I'd had allocated to me about like roughly about three grand. Do you know what I mean? So I thought, well, I can kind of, I can get, I can either get one like amazing, valuable Les Paul, or I can maybe get myself two. Do you know what I mean? Two guitars. So one that I saw obviously was this, what is now my 1972 Gibson Les Paul Deluxe. Um, which I instantly fell in love with. Because the thing about Les Pauls, as well as anyone who knows or plays guitar or has played a Les Paul, a lot of, you know, it's like, it, it's all in the neck of the guitar for me. And as soon as you like, you don't even have to play it. As soon as you grab hold of the neck to take it off the mount or the stand or whatever, that's the moment where you're like, oh yeah, or oh no. Do you know what I mean? Like you could half grab hold of one and instantly go, no, I don't like that neck. Put it back down. But this one, as soon as I picked it up, I was like, this is absolutely perfect. So I spent quite a lot of time in that shop, sort of playing that guitar. And then, yeah, like not only the excitement of buying one, I was like, well, I kind of, I've kind of always liked the look of Fender Jaguars. Now, I wish I'd never done that really, because as cool as Jags are and as cool as they sound, they are an absolute pain in the ass. <laughs> and whoever designed that guitar probably did so, cackling maniacally just going yeah i can't wait to see someone try and work on this in any capacity do you know what i mean or even play it rough do you know what i mean bloody strings bouncing out of the nut and all sorts of stuff but <laughs> that was when i bought that 1966 jag which is uh and someone actually asked me recently on twitter they were like why is jag tune called jag tune and it's like well because it was done on a fender jag <laughs> and it's simple it's as simple as that 
I can't <laughs> tell you how many times I was like, is that like a, there's, is there like a reference to Jag? Like, is, I, I don't know why I would think like jazz or something. I felt like there was something I just didn't know, but it's so funny that it was just that simple. It's literally that simple. Yeah. And uh, the lad even said, oh, well, I bet I had a bet with my mates that that's what it was, but they said it won't. I mean, that's the thing about us. Like we never, it was usually me that ended up naming songs and I do that. I based on whatever lyrics Rob was throwing out. You know what I mean? Because sometimes Rob would be throwing out lyrics. I couldn't tell what the bloody hell he was saying. <laughs> but when I could tell what he was saying, that usually formed the basis of the names of the song. But other than that, I just used to come up with quick names that would let all four of us know what we were talking about. Do you know what I mean? So it very quickly became, oh, should we do that one? What one? Well, that one I do want Jag. That You know, that tune that I do want Jag. Do you know what I mean? And then, so it, it's just Jag tune. Yeah. And he don't need, and like, I, I still love that now. Like when I'm naming stuff, naming songs or whatever, or naming albums, stuff just suddenly comes into being that feels like it should have always been like that. Right. And it's, it's true. Just, it's just, songs. Yeah, it's just natural. Yeah. It's true with songs, bits of music or names of songs. Um, and that goes across all sorts of stuff. I mean, why do you think new instrumental is called new instrumental i'll tell you why because it was the it was the instrumental that wasn't walls get smaller do you know what i mean so again it's like what we're playing oh that instrumental one which one that new one <laughs> that new instrumental <laughs> do you know what i mean so it's like that's very much how we worked in terms of there was no great thought went into it like that stuff would just slap me in the face and like disco disco is called disco because it just goes to that you know that one that goes to that disco beat so yeah. oh yeah, yeah yeah and then it's just called disco um which actually links um back nicely to the ep that we actually eventually recorded during that session um because there's another song in there that is purely based on something really simple karma like the sort the track karma there is nothing deep to the title of that but for the fact that the keyboard we used on it was a Korg Karma. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's So that's where the name of that track came from. The oh, little nice. the little lead line that it comes in with, that was done on a Korg Karma. So it's like, right, well, that is called Karma then. Do you know what I mean? That There's no other, there's no other name would do for that. Um... But yeah, I vividly remember the excitement of buying those guitars, sitting there playing them because that was, you know, that. And again, anyone who's into guitars or anything like that, and so, certainly has been through a stage, especially when you're younger, when you don't have the money to, you know, the exposable, uh, disposable, sorry, income to be able to go buy guitars like that. But they're all pinch yourself moments. Do you know what I mean? And then being able to come away from there and go straight down to townhouse and be like, right you know here we are i've got this guitar this is going to become because I, I honestly can't even remember what i were playing before that i think it will have been my um custom built richardson guitars that i've got pretty sure that's what i was doing stuff on so well what did you play when you had uh the bright young things um my richardson okay i, I used to call it amber um but it became red because it was amber but it was it got left in a basement that was quite damp and I opened it one day and all the finish and lacquer had completely cracked off it. So I was like, uh, so I sent it back to the guy who built it and he um, refinished it, but it came back red. 
So still called Amber though, I guess. But yeah, um so going back there in that environment with a proper Gibson Les Paul with a little bit of with some history to it. Because that's the other thing. Like the older a guitar is, the majority of time, the more expensive it is. Do you know what I mean? So it's like it's such an awesome feeling, especially at that age, like 18 years old, having my own proper Gibson Les Paul. And I have to, I love it the same now that I, I did the first time I picked it up. And it's got all sorts of, you know, I, I picked it up for the first time and turned it over and looked on the back. And this was something that's documented in the YouTube videos. But someone had carved I Love You into the back of the guitar, which still fascinates me to this day. Do you know what I mean? Because I'd love to know who owned that guitar and who was the message to or who was the message from. Was it from the owner to the guitar itself? Yeah. Which I, that's that's what I still think because I have that powerful connection with it. But even when I walk past it, you, you just get that sort of, I don't know, it like you're magnetized towards it and, you know, as much as it is possible to love an, an object like that in, in that sense, um, I genuinely do, so... I'd love to know who wrote I Love You on the back of that. So, yeah, we actually did that session with a producer called Lenny Frankie, who was um, a great, great guy, really great, talented guy as well, uh, who who was one of the many people who had the misfortune of suffering us four as 18-year-old kids. Because <laughs> <laughs> we, I think we were a bit of an acquired taste. I think you either found us absolutely hilarious or like, oh, my God, get me out of here. But, yeah, that... That session was interesting because, as I say, we we went down there with, on the proviso of disco being being the 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 lead track on the EP, so to speak, and we had all these other songs that were like, so what are we actually going to record? And as I'm sat here now, I'm not even sure I can remember what bloody songs are on that EP. Uh, what is it? You might as well try and fuck me too high. Um, treat me right on and karma right. Yeah, and Treat Me Right On was like another sort of almost reggae thing we were doing. It's, uh, uh, and that, I tell you what, God knows how many guitar overdubs I did on that. I know that people say John Squire went mad on Second Coming and did hundreds of overdubs and all, but that, that was very much me. <laughs> well, across that whole EP, really, but predominantly on Treat Me Right On, I mean... As that gets towards the middle and the end, it's a long time since I've listened to that track, but Christ, I mean, there's, I, I was just doing tons of guitar overdubs, and I think I've talked about it before, where Lenny went, right, what I want you to do is go get as many vintage pedals as you want. Because what you have to understand, understand about big proper studios like that is they have like a lot of in-house gear that you can choose from and you know tons of old amplifiers and tons of old vintage effects pedals that just sound amazing and i'd come from using like zoom multi-effects pedals which are great on a budget and stuff but when you're actually presented with an original 60s or 70s micro synth and all these sorts of things it's like oh my god i've got this, this new proper gibson guitar and i'm going through all these proper vintage pedals yeah um that was brilliant but i mean i suppose another thing to sort of add to this conversation and the context of it all was talking about the pressure and the stress and the anxiety sort of focused around what was happening to us because i mean i'd, I'd imagine most people listening to this trying to put themselves in that position might just think oh my god that's just gonna be like the most amazing whirlwind that you've ever been sucked up by um which was true 
But there's no doubt that even back then, it was starting to have um, quite a scarring impact on all four of us, Yeah, I would say. Certainly me. And what actually started happening to... Were we down there for two weeks or three weeks? I can't remember exactly how long we were down there, but we actually stayed in uh, the Hilton at Shepherd's Bush and we were sharing rooms and I, I, and this is the first time it happened to me. I started like waking up at 4 a.m. and sort of thinking, oh, I'm awake, all right. And then all of a sudden, I just start being violently sick. Ugh. Do you know what I mean? And like, I'd be like, oh, this is weird, all right, whatever. And then I'd like, and it, it lasted for a long time, did that. And it was a sort of, it, and that brought us its own anxiety. Do you know what I mean? Because the night, before you sat there doing whatever you're doing and you're suddenly thinking am i gonna wake up at 4 a.m and start spewing spewing my guts up again and it became like a pattern i'd wake up at like four start feeling really sick and no matter what i did like try to control it do you know what i mean like come on frame yourself here what what's going on so I'll wake up at four lay there for half an hour and then think no i'm gonna be sick and then like just throw up all early morning till about like half six seven and then start to feel better at like half seven. And obviously, as everyone knows, when you're, when you're sort of violently sick like that, it really exhausts you. Do you know what I mean? So I, I even at 18 years old, I started on this pattern of getting less and less sleep because I was waking up every morning and spewing my guts up. And that's difficult as well when you're in a room with someone and you're trying not to disturb them. I mean, I, I, our Tom came down to 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 see some of the recording and he stayed in my room i think it was me and rob at the time i can't remember but we used to share rooms and that but yeah um it was it you know that was and that's something that's that carried on for quite a long time and really started to hamper me in lots of ways you know even down to going on tours and stuff where like right so you're getting picked up by the van at 8 a.m and you're driving to heathrow and then you're flying to japan and there's me thinking, oh, well, what the bloody hell is going to happen to me then? Because I'm going to be up from fucking four o'clock till eight o'clock, spewing my guts up. And then I need like three or four hours sleep after that to kind of recover. And that became like, I remember, and I think I remember at the, um, at the time, a lot of people saying, well, it's because you're smoking so much weed and all this stuff. And, and that was awful as well, because you're like, oh, bloody great. The one thing that actually helps me sort of turn away from the enormity of all this right. so that i can be a little bit normal suddenly that's the thing that's has a side you know effect. yeah that's the thing that's causing which to be honest i never i never bought that or not bought or believed but i i always thought it's not as simple as that do you know what i mean it, it, it and i think i think in retrospect i was i was right really in in a sense that, that I don't think there's a lot of things you can take uh, other than, you know, proper prescription stuff. And even then, anxiety is a fucking powerful thing on any mind. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it can be, it's a really daunting, lonely place is that level of anxiety. And the worst thing is as well, is it happening at that time in the morning? Because as anyone else knows, it's like the world, the rest of the world doesn't exist at that time in the morning yeah even though you're you're in you're in a room with you know like rob or phil or Stu or whatever or it doesn't matter what at that time in the morning it's like the rest of the world doesn't exist and you're and you're on your own and you're on your own with these spiraling thoughts of 
as I say, all the pressure that comes with the situation that we were in. Do you know what I mean? Like four young lads, um, the world at your feet, so to speak. Which, oh yeah, which again, most people would be like, "Well, bloody hell!" You know, you just be ridiculous excited. But I think that's always been something with me as well. Ridiculous levels of excitement have always been coupled with sort of crushing anxiety. It's always so. It's always like it's always been a double-edged sword for me, as that to be honest. Um, but I mean, even with that, it was. I mean, I've always like it's it's just it's in it's endurance in it. it you you have, you have to get to a point in your life or wherever you are in your life where you're like, right, this is happening, and it's true now with the, the emotional upheaval that I've been through. You you get to a point where you're like, right, I'm going to endure this and get through it to be able to get to where I need to be. Do you know what I mean? But I mean that was that was a little aside, I suppose. But yeah, I mean, so going back to actually the songs we were recording, we were planning on doing disco, and that's the song that we set up to record first. And I think something that Tim and the rest of the management was so keen on was to to capture the energy and excitement of our performance live, but get it on a record, which has always been difficult. And we started playing disco anyway and started trying to record it and it just didn't feel right. Do you know what I mean? It just certainly at that point we were at in our development and development as a band and how much we developed that song. Although, to be fair, it never really changed from what it was. It was more about recording it in the right way. And it's not that Lenny did it wrong, but it was a case of, well, everyone's kind of not feeling this so how long do we put into trying to make it so everyone feels it before we acknowledge it's not quite working and i think during that process we'd not long started writing you might as well try to fuck me um which i have to say as well i i, I love the fact that um because as i say we were still kids at that point so not long after recording that, I think, you know, I went to the dentist with my mum or something like that, and the dentist knew about the band and that. And he's like, oh, what's your next single called and that? And you can see my mum's face turning away thinking, oh, God, don't say it, don't say it. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah, is a strange we quite... name for a song. Well, I mean, again, it's just like that's what Rob was singing. That's what Rob was singing. So I was like, well, that's what it's called. You might as well try and fuck me. Like, And we... I think it goes back to how we used to view everything, really, because some people would be like, well, you're not going to get on radio with that. But we were like, well, do we care at this point? You know what I mean? That that didn't seem to be the most important thing at that time. And again, Tim and Tony and the management were like, well, that's not a bad thing because it's still too early. It's still too early for you guys to really be be on the radio and all that sort of stuff so there's if you want to call it you might as well try and fuck me fucking call it that it don't matter do you know what i mean just put it out people are going to buzz off it and we knew that we were doing the tours that we were doing when we were starting to get ourselves out there as a band and we did the north the midlands and the south as three separate tours um we knew or certainly the management knew that we were so good and impressive that if we could get people in those rooms word would build and word would spread which is exactly what happened with us um 
I think we we had so much groundswell before we even had anything uh, big on the radio as such. I think we'd had we'd, we had had the original demo of Long Road, and that was the other thing. It's like, mm, what do you follow that up with? Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we we got to a point in that recording session where we were like, right, disco ain't working here. What we're gonna do? And I think we right on that we were like, yeah, that's cool, but is it is that like the the main song on an EP? And again, we had too high, and I think that was a similar sort of feeling, really. And it was a case of well, we've got this riff, and like with a beat and a bass line, and. Rob's got like a really powerful vocal so we just try that and that's what we did basically we started playing that track and uh, and I tell you what something I've never really noticed until comparatively recently is how oasisy that track is it's got a real sort of early oasis swagger to it um, which was something that did not dawn on me at the time at all but um, yeah I've got massive massive fond memories of that recording session of that room so um, swagger on that song it's not even funny yeah oh absolutely and that's another one like the guitar sounds on that are absolutely amazing and that's another one where i did loads of overdubs yeah even treat me right on is like also crazy swagger and just it's crazy to think that those were made around the same time it's just really really good stuff yeah man and then then there's too high which is just proper trippy because I think a lot of people have always said that about us, that we've written and created songs that sound like they are much further beyond the years that we were. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Which that was something that was completely not visible to us, obviously. Um, I think in retrospect, looking back, and I think another one of those songs that people say that's so ahead of its time is Karma. Do you know what I mean? And Karma, as I say, is called Karma because the little synthy line was yeah. done on a called Karma. But that, nothing about that track existed before that session nothing i think we'd kind of gone well we've got these three that are concrete they're definitely going to be on it but we need another one and i think it was a case of well should we just try and have a jam and see if something happens and that's just us through and through is that that's so literally yeah because we're all so we, we all have the ability to get really really inspired really fast do you know what i mean and Anyone who's done this sort of thing knows that it don't take long to make something great. Like, if if it's going to happen, it it can happen in like twenty seconds, where you just go, "Oh my god, that vocal you just did over that bit of guitar I was doing when he did that bass note and he hit that drum pattern." Fucking hell, that's it. That is it. And that's why we used to record all the practice sessions we did in Soundworks. We just have a DAP player with a mic in the middle of the room because I became obsessed with the fact that. You know, the, these things come and go like smoke from a fire. And if you're not of the mind to spot it, because I think that's where I really came into my own in terms of what, not just guitar and writing, but in terms of what I brought to this band, I think it was me a lot of the time that were like, right, stop. I mean, we've recorded, it's on this tape, rewind that, listen to it. Right, that five to 10 seconds there, that is what we're working towards. Do you know what I mean? Everything else can just fall into place as long as we nail that because that is fucking exciting. Yeah. And I think we all knew that um, about karma. Do you know what I mean? That was, as I say, just a perfect example of how we worked as a band um, where we could literally just have nothing 
no ideas, nothing. And as long as something came from somewhere, it do you know what I mean? It did something just just it just came into existence. And when you've got a singer and a vocalist like Rob and someone who vibes off stuff as much as Rob, and like I've described before, again, I think in YouTube videos more than on this podcast, but us writing as a band became very much about trying to find a way to excite Rob. Do you know what I mean? It will be like, right, what what is going to get that kid dancing? Yeah. You could always tell when they were excited because it just got fucking nuts in the middle of the room. And, you know, I've said it before, people will be like, oh, Rob just dances like that on stage. You fucking done. I bet the kid will be dancing like that in his kitchen now if someone puts the right thing on. Do you know what I mean? Because he just he just gets into stuff. There was nothing that was ever forced about anything. It was it was just all natural. And yeah, karma was a great achievement of oh, you don't think we've got enough songs? Well, let me prove you fucking wrong <laughs> in like a very short space of time. Um, yeah, very exciting bit of music that and. I remember at the time thinking, fuck me, this should be the main track. Fucking Karma should be the main track. <laughs> yeah. It's absolutely ridiculous. Quite a jam. Yeah, in terms of the vocals. And I mean, I couldn't even tell what Rob was saying on that track. I, and if I listen back to the vocals now, I'd be like, I don't know what his buddy's saying, but it sounds amazing. And I know that he, I can tell how much he believes in it. And I think that, you know, being a musician or anything like that, it, a lot of it comes down to um, you have to have ultimately ultimate belief in what you're doing and that's when i started making this record that's one thing that tony my manager said to me was like look if you believe in it if you really believe in it and are willing to believe in it enough to see it through and make a record then you've you know that's 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 what it's about um i suppose the other significant thing about that ep was the the first outing of too high and kind of how that fit into the ep and how we recorded that and again probably a song that people would consider much further beyond our years um and i remember david boyd coming down to those sessions it was obviously the um head the head of a&r at hut he came down to those sessions and you know i think that's one thing we always relied on as well like i say relied on as long as us four were like yeah this is amazing we could convince everyone else it was but it was always great to have someone come in completely cold you know, put something on and see their eyes light up. Do you know what I mean? That, that's something I'll never never forget, those feelings. And um, I have that to a degree now with my own stuff. Do you know what I mean? When I'm playing it to people and you just love seeing people's reaction to it. And yeah, Too High, I did a million guitar overdubs on that as well. Went absolutely, absolutely mental on that. Yeah, and, you know, we spent a lot of time playing table football during that session as well. And just all sorts of stuff. Just, you know, being kids in in that in that environment with all those sorts of things at, at our disposal it was a really great thing and it, it's uh i consider it an honor to be honest to even sit here and reminisce about those oh, yeah. things and i love the fact that i've still got uh that my memory works well enough to remember back to all this sort of stuff um you know it's, it's really great to to think back to it and to think how it all worked and how it all went and like i say buying that guitar and buying the jag uh, which led me to tell you about how we used to bloody name songs i'm trying to think if there's any other names of songs that are really random that are tied to something just really simple and obvious but 
What about Certainly. ghost hands? Oh no, that's um, that's a that is an interesting one. That actually, that's an interesting one because, as you mentioned it, I can't actually recall why it's called Ghost Hands. I wonder if it was someone with like a preset, the name of a preset sound or something, or something to do with a sequencer. I'd have to liaise with Rob, mind you. Rob won't bloody remember, bless him. <laughs> but yeah, I can't actually remember why that's called Ghost Hands. That's a good point. That's a very good point. But yeah, most of the times the names of our songs were down to something really. Simple. Okay, One no. thing that's interesting, I never thought, I didn't know that Disco was going to be the EP. It's funny that it wasn't, and it was uh, You Might As Well. And on our podcast, we open with Disco and close with You Might As Well. So that's funny. It's yeah, funny. yeah. That, a bit of a... Yeah, man. Yeah, definitely. No, that is interesting. Um, so yeah, it's been great to reminisce about that. And this is actually an episode I've been meaning to do for a long time. But whenever I think about doing it i always think like can i remember enough context or enough to make it interesting but no i've really enjoyed talking about that and um i think we'll leave this episode there for now um as i as i explained at the beginning i haven't done we haven't done enough podcasts this year so yeah. far for my liking and that's something we want to change but obviously as i've explained i've had my own things to deal with and um pete has got his own high flying fucking shit he's sorting out whether he's you know bloody halfway around the world doing whatever he's doing i don't know but we will endeavor to do more obviously and i know i do say this a lot but just another massive shout out to to all my patrons who still support me and uh i literally I don't say it enough. I could not be doing what I'm doing without you guys. I mean, um, I do the weekly live stream still, so patrons get access to that. And I'm still doing songs, although I haven't done as many of those recently because I've been dealing with the stuff I've been dealing with. But the support I have from the people that still sort of um, put money into uh, the patron, which enables me to live, really. It enables me to live and make these podcasts and do what I'm doing with the album. I would literally, on my life, I would not be able to do it without you guys. And um, I'm grateful to every single one of you, the, the people who are still with me now and the people who, who have been there in the past and, and have had to uh, move on on but they still retain my full gratitude for contributing to to this whole thing and it means more than the world to me i cannot tell you what it means to me so thank you so much to everyone that still supports me um honestly blown away by it and yeah so thank you for listening i know we haven't done an episode in a while but i really hope you enjoy this episode and you come back and listen to the next one so yeah thank you very much